Thanks so much for listening to the City Church Podcast. We pray that this message draws you closer to the heart of Jesus and impacts your daily life. For more resources, check out ourcitychurch.org. Let's pray together. Father, we so badly want right now to understand on a deeper level our need for you. As we declare that out loud right now, we need you, Jesus. Stand before you just humbled. Desperately in need of your grace this morning. In your beautiful name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and find a seat. Well, as Justin said, my name is Mike, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. So honored to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, As Justin said, we've been in a series called This Big Life. How many folks have been here? This is week three of The Big Life for you. All right, some of you guys made it to the first two weeks. Uh, As you know, we have been in this series. It's been incredible what God has been doing. Uh, We started talking about how it is in there already. You have what you need. With the Holy Spirit inside you, you have what you need. Last week we talked about now that you know who you are and you know what you have, you are able to then live inside the limits that God has for you. You can live in his lane, and we talked about the grace zone. The grace zone that God has created for you. God has given you certain talents, certain gifts, certain passions. And now that you know who you are, you're free to break free of those other things that have held you down, making you think you need to be someone else. So you can embrace those limits. This week we are talking about what does it look like to live with rhythms. With rhythms. You've got your Bible. You can turn to me to Luke chapter 6. It's where we're going to be this morning. Starting in verse 1. And uh, let me read it for you. It'll also be on the screen if you want to follow along. Luke writes this. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, And took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was fully restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. If you want to take notes this morning, the title of this message is Give Me a Hand. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning declaring once more our desire to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. We invite you to speak to us. 
We thank you for your presence here among us. Open our hearts right now. Open our ears to hear from you. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. How many people have ever heard of Kickstarter? Kickstarter. All right, if you haven't, Kickstarter is this website where if you have a project that you want to get off the ground and you need some help funding it, you put up a Kickstarter, it's called, and you allow people to get in on the ground level. And so, for example, say I had some sort of invention, and it was going to cost about $100,000 to get it off the ground. Well, I don't have $100,000, but you do, collectively. And so I offer you some sort of incentive to help me get it off the ground. And so maybe you can pre-order something, you can get access to something early, all right? Last year, on Valentine's Day, my wife and I were on Kickstarter, and uh, I had been wrestling with not sleeping very well. Been an issue I've had for a while. I tend to sleep a lot less than I probably need to, you know, five or six hours a night. Meanwhile, my wife is sleeping like nine or ten hours. How anybody... Anybody have a wife that sleeps a lot more than, okay, just me? All right, so, so my wife has no problem sleeping, and I'm waking up super early, having trouble getting the sleep I need. And so I come across an incredible Kickstarter, a smart mattress cover. All right, you got to hear about this thing. It's absolutely incredible, okay? So this thing, you plug it into the wall, it goes to your phone, it will tell you what cycle of sleep you're in. It'll tell you when you're waking up. It will tell you how you can sleep better. It promises your daughter will never wake you up anymore. And so this glorious sleep that I've been looking for, I'm going to find it in this mattress cover. The problem is, that was last Valentine's Day, and the thing hasn't even showed up yet, so I'm still waiting for it. But I don't know if you've noticed this thing in you that I see in myself. The problem for me is not that I need a smart mattress cover, okay? Maybe that thing will be helpful. The problem with me is that I can't get my brain to turn off, right? So right now, my wife and I are renovating a house, and I cannot sleep at night because I cannot get my brain to shut off. The issue is, before I started renovating the house, I had to buy a new car, and I could not get my brain to shut off because I had to buy a new car, and I was thinking about the various ones. And then before that... On and on and on. There's always something that you and I are thinking through and wondering about, cramming our schedules with, cramming our mental capacity with. And I bet many of us here know what it's like to feel like we are stretched thin. How many of you here this morning would say, my life is jamming busy? Come on, you can be honest. How many of you are like, my life is busy. It's probably a little bit too busy. All right, show of hands. Many of you, the rest of you are probably not raising your hand at the moment because you're ashamed. That's okay. You're among friends, okay? We are by and large a culture that is a little bit too crammed, a little bit too stretched. We have a little too much going on, and we have a hard time pulling away. We have a hard time pulling away. Have you noticed how incredibly common the phrase, I'm busy is, has become in our language? All right, maybe you hear yourself saying it all the time. Catching up with a friend, hey man, how you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. How common is this? Yeah, we're just busy. Family's busy. I hear that all the time. Heck, I hear that coming out of my own mouth all the time. You know, I've wondered as people maybe who not, don't live in our country listen to us talk if they think that's one of just the, the common phrases that we use back and forth, right? Hello, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm busy. 
You know? My wife and I were traveling last summer, and uh, I'm not one of those people who really tends to learn the foreign language of the place I'm going, okay? So we're in France, and I've not learned a lick of French, okay? So I figure if I can learn the phrases hello and goodbye and coffee and thanks and bathroom, there are very few things I can't survive. You know what I mean? And so we're, we're around, and all, all the French folk were very nice. Bonjour, 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 bonjour. And I'm like, bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. But my wife is completely ham, hamming it up. She's walking around, bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. I'm like, sweetie, like, we are giving it away that we are Americans. I'm not rocking those sweet capri pants that all the dudes over there wear. I can't rock those. You know, I'm saying bonjour like I'm from New Jersey. No offense. All you from New Jersey. But I wonder if when people come to our culture, that phrase is so common that they wonder, yeah, is that just what people say? Is that just what people say? Most of us know what it's like to have our lives be a little bit full. But the truth is, I don't think the biggest issue is that our lives are too full. Being busy in and of itself is not a bad thing. I think it's actually probably an inevitable thing. If you are going to go after the things that God has for you, if we are going to go after the things that God has for us as a church, our lives are going to be full. You are going to have a hard time getting your brain to shut off because you're always going to be pressing forward to new things. Busyness is not going to be the issue. The problem that you and I need to wrestle with is how do we get rest from that busyness? How do we go about getting rest from the busyness? I want to talk to you this morning about rhythms. Rhythms. Again, week one, we talked about who you are. Week two, we talked about the things God is calling you to do. And now week three, we're going to talk about the way in which God calls you to do them. Our God is a God of rhythms. Jesus himself has a lot to say about it. We find it here in our text this morning. Bible uses a word when we talk about this topic called Sabbath. Sabbath. Say that with me. Sabbath. Sabbath. Come on. It's kind of a weird church word. Maybe if you grew up in church, you're used to it. If you're not, it's a bit of a strange word. I want to give you a working definition so that you know what I'm talking about this morning. Sabbath was, for the Jewish people, uh, Saturday. Okay? So on Saturday, there would be an enormous amount of rules that said how you could not work. It was a day of rest for the people. God took it incredibly seriously, laid out a whole bunch of laws that he put in place so that people could not and would not work. See, God is a God of rhythms. Maybe you've seen this. Cycle of a day, we have day, we have night. We have seasons like spring, which seems to be finally here. Thank you, Jesus. Tides pull out. They push back in. The cycles of the moon, we see that our God is a God of rhythms. And so let's design, let's, let's just say, for definition purposes, we're going to say to Sabbath is to take a day in which you intentionally pull back from all work. That's how the scripture would define Sabbath, okay? I want to say that I think you don't understand the magnitude of this issue. I'm going to go as far as to say that I believe this is the number one killer of the big life. Is that we don't understand and cannot get our heads around how to practice this topic and this issue of Sabbath. About the relationship between work and rest. We don't don't understand how that is. 
You know, it's, it's hard for a lot of us to stop working. Maybe we, we are good at taking a day off, but if we're honest, we hop on email. Our phones have made it so we can work anywhere and everywhere. And so maybe you've found that work and rest has been a, a real challenge for you. I know for me personally, I, I am prone to overwork. And I bet you if we were uh, to take a show of hands that many of us here would say, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me not to work. Very difficult for me to pull back. And so what begins to happen is this, this grind begins to take over us. Because we don't know how to rest from this ceaseless work. See, maybe over the last few weeks, God has begun to stir some things in you and, and begin to, to show you who you are. And maybe he's begun to give you vision, excitement about what he has in front of you. The truth is, if you do not wrap your hands around this issue of God's rhythms for your life, you will never cross the finish line. Because you'll burn out before you get there. Because God is God of rhythms. And he has those rhythms for you. I think if you're honest, you'd know that many of us know what it's like to feel like we're just trying to make it through the week. Monday starts and it's like, man, if I can just get to Friday night. And then Friday night comes and Saturday and Sunday fly by and suddenly we find ourselves back at Monday. And it almost feels like this, this merry-go-round that we're on of just busyness and weariness and we're just going 100 miles an hour and we don't know how to get off that merry-go-round. What I want to ask you this morning is what if God has a new level of richness and fullness and satisfaction for your life that right now you are not tapping into and you're not tasting because you've never stopped and prayerfully considered this issue. Our text this morning opens up as Jesus and the disciples are walking through a field of grain. Doesn't tell us how or why they're doing that. Doesn't tell us how often he walks through the amber waves of grain. But he finds ourselves, we find ourselves watching as he and the disciples walk through this grain field. As they do so, the disciples grab some of it and they rub it between their hands to make it so it's edible. Because they're hungry. And so they pop it in their mouth, begin to feed themselves. And the Pharisees are watching and they call them out. Because this is, this is harvesting on the Sabbath. And this is not allowed. And so they're trying to trip Jesus up. And as Jesus responds, I don't know about you, but when I first read the story, my expectation is that Jesus would say, Ah, you stupid Pharisees. Don't you know that the Messiah is here? Don't you know that, that the Sabbath doesn't matter anymore? But that's not his response, is it? Jesus uses this sort of odd phrase. He responds with, I am what? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And I read that. And I think to myself, what on earth is Jesus getting at here? What on earth is Jesus trying to say that he knows you and I so desperately need to learn? Jesus knows something that he wants to deposit in us through this text this morning. He knows the abiding human problem is not overworking. It's not about being too busy, although we do struggle with that. The abiding human problem 
and why he can be for us the Lord of the Sabbath is this. We have an issue of identity. We have an ide- issue of identity. See, don't miss this this morning. If you don't catch this, nothing else will make sense. Jesus understands that we are so prone to get our identity, not from who we are in him, but from what we do. I don't know about you, but I'm so prone to get my identity from how I achieve things, from what people think about my work, from how I look in front of others, instead of sitting underneath the weight of being a child of God and allowing that to first and foremost inform what I say about myself and what I believe about myself. See, the Sabbath is not a response to the hecticness of modern life. It's a response to the overwhelming murmur that every single one of us knows the voice of. It's the murmur that says this, you're insignificant. You're not going to have enough. You don't, you don't really matter. You're not valuable. You're going to run out of money. You're never going to be loved. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't struggle with each of those things to some varying degree. Sabbath is not a response to our propensity to overwork. It's a response to that part inside of us that results from being broken people living in a flawed world who are seeking to have those questions answered in all the wrong places. Whether you follow Jesus for 30 years or you're still on the journey, you and I are prone to look for the answers to those questions in all the wrong places. And that's what the Sabbath is a response to. See, when that voice is just going, and we can't seem to quiet it because we can't shut our brains down, we don't know how it is to rest, that voice results in an epidemic that I feel like we as people in our culture wrestle with. It's this epidemic of weariness and restlessness. I bet if you're honest, you know what those two things feel like right now. To have this restlessness in your spirit that a vacation can't seem to solve. You take a day off and and that restlessness doesn't seem to go away because as you take that day off, you feel like other people are getting ahead of you. You go away on vacation and your body feels a little bit better, but it hasn't answered the deeper need that you're looking for as you ask those questions. And so you get on this cycle of weariness and restlessness because truthfully looking to the answer of those questions in the wrong places will make you bone weary. See, I thought I could fix my sleep problem by buying this snazzy mattress cover. And I'm looking for external things to fix a problem that they're not meant to do. I'm looking for external things to answer questions that they're not offering answers to. You know what I've learned is that I can sleep like an angel every single night. I could get my perfect eight hours, and yet I would still wrestle because what I need most is not great physical rest. It's soul rest. You know, it's a lot like looking at an infection. And we put a Band-Aid on it, and we think that it's going to heal the wound. We think that physical rest is going to be able to solve that weariness. And yet the wound still stays infected. 
Some of you know that my wife is a, uh, a surgery PA. And uh, she works at a hospital in New London. But what that means for us is that our kitchen table at any given time is some sort of surgery table. Okay? So we've got friends coming through at all times, getting stitches taken out, getting little things removed. She's cutting things off of people. It is far outside my grace zone, and it makes me sick. All right? I'm going to be honest. So I just let her do that, and I just say, babe, you know, Justin told me it's not my grace zone. So I just, I'm going to let you handle that, right? So last week it was our friend Ketley. Ketley Garen, our kids director, whose spot I am blowing up, okay? So she was over our house with this foot that was the size of my thigh, okay? It's all sorts of inflamed. It's all sorts of nasty. It's gross, okay? And so I come home and Brittany's like, hey, babe, can you hold down Ketley's foot while I slice into it? And I said, no, I absolutely cannot. And she's like, all right, well, I guess we'll just have to do it without you. And I'm like, I guess, because I can't, you know, I cannot stomach that stuff. And so I'm upstairs, and I hear, I hear Ket downstairs yelping, because Brittany is, is cutting into her foot and getting, I'm trying not to be graphic, but getting the bad stuff out, you know what I mean, the gross stuff. And so she's doing this little thing on our dining room table, which is utterly disgusting, but they realize, Ketley and my wife realize that you can't put a band-aid over an infected wound or it'll never heal. If you don't clean it out, it'll never heal. That's why taking a day off from work doesn't solve that inner soul weariness, that soul murmur that seems to haunt you, seems to hang on you. A day off doesn't give you what you need most. It doesn't give you that soul rest you're so desperately looking for. Jesus says what? He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What exactly is he getting at here? Jesus is declaring that he alone is the source of this deep rest that you and I so desperately need. He's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. See, our issue is not just that we are busy. It's that we don't know how to get rest from that busyness. So where do we go? Find ourselves in this predicament? Find ourselves asking questions of God, how do, I, how do I get my soul to be filled? How do I get my soul to be restored? How do I get my spirit to feel better? How do I get the answers to these questions? Have you ever noticed that the real root of rest is satisfaction? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how the real root of rest is satisfaction? Maybe you know what it's looked like. Ever been in the middle of a project, have a hard time going to bed? I told you about this renovation project we're doing on my house. I told my wife about a month ago, I said, babe, I'm really not going to sleep for about two months. I said, it's just so hard for me to turn my brain off. I don't know, maybe you, for you, it was like you'd move into a dorm room. It was very, very hard for you to do anything else until you got everything in the dorm room put away, Right? Until you were able to sit back, get all your boxes unpacked, and look back and go, ah, okay. Yeah, it feels good. The satisfaction of having the job done. You had a hard time resting. You had a hard time doing anything else. Tim Keller writes about this, and he says this. He says, resting is to be utterly satisfied in what's been done. He says, that's true rest. I want you to think back to the creation account with me. Since God is creating the world one day at a time, 
you remember the biblical account from the early chapters of Genesis, it says that for six days God worked. And then on the seventh, what does it say? It says he rested. Now listen, God doesn't get sore biceps. Right? God doesn't get tired. So what on earth is this pointing to? It's such a strange statement when we read it. Say, God is, God is resting? Who's God resting from? See, the author is pointing to this truth that God is looking out over creation and finding satisfaction in it. See, the thing that you so desperately need that you're not even sure you're lo- that you didn't even know you're looking for yet is you're looking for satisfaction of soul. And that's why you keep running up short when you look to the other th- these other things. That's why a relationship can't answer that question for you. That's why the job won't answer that question for you. That's why the weariness lingers. Because you can succeed at work and you still don't find that satisfaction. Because there's but one source for it. I want you to notice how God looks over his creation on the sixth day when he creates man. What does he say? He says it's good. In fact, he says it's very good. See, the truth is outside of Christ, your soul never finds its satisfaction. Imagine with me for just a moment as God looked out over his creation. Imagine him looking out over you. He's seeing what he's created. In his mind, he's seeing all the things that he will create. And he's looking at you. And he's looking at you through the lens of Jesus. And he's seeing over you the righteousness of Christ. And he's looking at you and he's saying, it's good. He's good. She, she's good. How would that change the way you see yourself? How would that change the way you seek answers to these questions of significance? How you seek answers to the questions of, do I matter? Am I loved? Am I valuable? What if you knew that the creator of all things looked out over you and said, it's good? If you just allowed your spirit and your soul to begin to to rest in that and find the satisfaction of your creator just resting on you. How would that shift the way you see yourself? How would that change your rhythms? I want you to fast forward with me to the end of the story. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And again, that's kind of an odd phrase, but you got to know that what Jesus is doing there is he's declaring himself as God. Okay? In saying that statement, he's saying, I am God. And what's their response to this? It tells us in verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. We find them discussing what to do, and then we know exactly what they do. They killed him. They got together. They connived. They came up with a, a plan. They worked with the Romans, and then they hung him on a cross, and they killed him. They killed the Savior of the world. But you got to see this this morning. The thing that is so beautiful and incredible about this story is, is, is Jesus declares himself as Lord of the Sabbath. They kill him for it, and then in doing so, make him the Lord of the Sabbath. They turn him into the very source of rest that they themselves cannot find outside of him. Is that not incredible that God would use the plan of these men to make restitution between the very men and the Father? 
Incredible how God ties these things together. So they condemn him, don't they? Get him before the Romans. Maybe you know the story. He's condemned to die. He's hung up on a cross. We see Jesus there hanging on a cross. He's writhing in agony. You can read the story yourself. We see Jesus is experiencing for the very first time in his life restlessness and weariness. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he became sin. Jesus becomes sin so that we might, you and I, might know and become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus is, in a very real way, absorbing our sin, yours and mine, past and present and future. God takes it and he pours it out on Jesus at the cross. And then you couple that with Isaiah 57, which declares that the wicked cannot rest, and you see Jesus writhing under the pain of infinite restlessness. Jesus is is without peace for the very first time in his life. Also that he would be able to hang at the cross and declare in his very final breath, it is finished. Jesus is able to say that because he absorbs our pain. And so what is finished? What is Jesus declaring in that moment? He's saying your search for meaning that you're looking in other places is finished. Your feelings of inadequacy, they're all finished at the cross. Your feelings of shame as though God couldn't use you, finished at the cross. Your need to keep up with the Joneses and overwork, finished at the cross. Your past mistakes that you think keep you from God's love is answered and finished where? At the cross. So he says, it is finished. It is finished. And so we look to the cross and we allow our faith in Jesus to be the declaration of independence that says, I don't need to keep up with culture. I don't need to work myself seven days a week because I believe that if I will trust God with six days and give him that one day of Sabbath, that that will be more productive than seven days without him. That's what the Sabbath is. It's our declaration that says, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I am no longer defined by what I do, but by whose I am and by who I am. I want you to notice this. As you look to the end of the story, Jesus has this really unique interaction with this man whose hand is withered. Okay, so it says his right hand is withered. You can, you can picture it. He probably had to hold it kind of close to his rib cage. Never fully worked. Maybe it was a little bit gnarled. And Jesus commands him to do what is seemingly an impossible thing. What does he say? He says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Now this man has a choice. He can argue with Jesus and banter and say, Jesus, I, I can't. Jesus, I, I, I have never been able to stretch out my hand. Don't you understand that? I can't stretch out my hand. But what does he do? He responds not in fear, but faith. And in responding in faith, he goes to stretch out his hand and finds that in that moment, Jesus has met him, and the thing that has caused him shame and and embarrassment his whole life is now completely and utterly restored. And so Jesus' invitation to that man is the same one he has to you this morning. He says, stretch out my hand. Stretch out your hand. That invitation is for you as well. Stretch out those feelings of insignificance and let me fill them with meaning. Stretch out your fears that you won't have enough and let me fill them with satisfaction and provision. Stretch out those feelings of, 
of not being valuable. And let me show you that. I went to incredible lengths to answer that question. Stretch out your fears about your future and find confidence that I am your God and that I will take care of you. Stretch out your shame and find grace. Stretch out your past mistakes and find mercy. The invitation to you is stretch out your hand because what Jesus knows is that if you will stretch out your hands, they will never be empty. I want you to see that in that moment, this man with the withered hand found rest and peace and satisfaction probably for the very first time in his life. Probably for the very first time in his life. And so as we talk about this issue of Sabbath and rhythms, we can't get to the practical things of what does it look like to take that day and set it apart if we've not first answered the question, what does it mean to let my soul rest? Because you can take a vacation, you can take 30 days off in a row, but if you're not answering that question, that weariness is not going away. That restlessness that says, I need these questions of significance answered, those don't disappear with a day off. And so first, you start with allowing Jesus to give you that soul rest that you so desperately need. And then you allow him to answer some of the practical questions as well. So I want to give you three very simple things that are next steps. That as you begin to allow Jesus to answer these questions, what does it look like to practically take a Sabbath? And so all of that was by way of introduction. So I don't know what, what Justin was thinking about. We're going to be done around 2 o'clock or so, uh, right in the middle of the parade, which will be fun. You can jump right into it, I'm sure. But once you've answered those questions, now you can begin to say, God, what does it look like for me to actually take a Sabbath? To begin to operate from a place of deep soul rest. What are some practical things that you want me to do? And I believe God wants to answer those questions as well. And so what I want to give you this morning is a a very simple model that you would begin to pray through and consider. I know everyone's life is different. Everyone's season of life looks a little bit different right now. And so that's why you've got to take these things and bring them before the Lord and say, God, what would you have me do with these? But the first thing that you're going to want to introduce, if you're going to take one day off a week and Sabbath is this. It's stop. Stop. For 24 hours a week, I invite you to stop. Whether that's Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6, whether it's all day Saturday, all day Sunday, cease from working for a 24-hour period. And maybe for you that that certainly means uh, ceasing from paid work, but maybe it also means ceasing from unpaid work in your life. If you hate mowing the grass, don't do it on your Sabbath. All right? If you hate paying bills, don't do it on your Sabbath. Now listen, you can't use an excuse to be lazy. You know, I can't go to my wife and be like, sorry, babe, I ain't doing dishes. Saturday. Right? Just trying to be faithful to the word of God, babe. You know, I'm not doing dishes. You know? It's not an excuse to be lazy, but it is an excuse to be inventive. Because if you are going to protect one day a week, you're going to have to move some things around. It means if paying bills is an anxious thing for you, you're probably going to have to do it on a Tuesday night instead of a Saturday morning. If there are things that you do that cause you angst, get them off your Sabbath. Stop working. All right? Second thing is this. It's fill. I don't know if you've ever stopped to make a list of the things that you love to do. 
Take a moment and think about that right now. What are the things that you love to do? That when you finish them, when you're all done, you just have this sense of like, ah, that was good. Maybe it's napping. Maybe it's walking in the woods with a friend. Maybe it's cooking a meal and inviting some people over. Band, you can come on up. Maybe it is just having some friends over and just enjoying some time together. Maybe it's making pancakes for your kids. What are the things that you really love to do that when you do them, man, you just feel filled up? I can tell you like what our Sabbath rhythm looks like for my wife and I right now is, is I, I really love to run. And so Saturday tends to be my Sabbath. And so a lot of Saturday mornings, I'll just get together with some friends, whether it's Mike or, or some other guys, and we'll just get together and we'll go run in the woods for a few hours, all right? And I come back just physically pretty whipped, but emotionally and spiritually just filled up. And so I go and do that. My wife sleeps in a little bit. She takes our little girl to the gym. We come back late morning and just have a lazy day together. Spend the afternoon at home, just maybe watching a movie, hanging while our little girl sleeps. That night, maybe we'll have some friends over. It's just a lazy day. And for us in this season, that's what a typical Sabbath looks like. Because we've said, what are the things that fill us up? Well, there's a physical side, like we love to run and exercise. We just want to be lazy together on the couch after a busy week. And then we want to spend some time with people we love. And so we said, those are things that fill us up regularly. And so we're going to jam our Sabbath full of things that fill up our spirit. So the second thing is fill. Figure out what you love to do and what fills you up, and then plop as many of those things as you can onto your Sabbath. Don't get too busy with them, but fill up your day with things that fill up your spirit. Prioritize those things. And the third thing is this. I call it a door. You should be, in my opinion, every day, mini-Sabbathing with the Lord. All right? Before you start your day or before you go to bed, spending some time with Jesus and just allowing him to speak life back into your spirit. And Sabbath is an opportunity to do that. Maybe Sabbath is Sunday for you and and so you come to church and you just worship and you allow your spirit just to connect with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's Saturday morning and so you get to get up and spend a little bit of time because you don't have to be in work quite so early. But more than that, I encourage you to allow your Sabbath to be a day where you just operate in the spirit of gratefulness. Where as you do these things that you really love, as you go for a walk with your spouse, as you cook pancakes for your kids, as you meet up with some friends, and you do these things that you love, that you would allow your spirit just to bask in that. And just begin to operate in a place of like, God, I am so thankful that you let me do this. I'm so thankful for your love for me. I'm so thankful for your tender kindness to me. You should allow your spirit to stay in this place of adoration and worship. You bring yourself back to a place regularly where God restores your spirit. Because ultimately we know Sabbath is all about restoration. See, the Sabbath is not about resting from our work. It's about learning to work from a position of his rest. All right, Sabbath is not about resting from work only. It's about practices that allow us to begin to work from a position of his rest. And you've got to wrestle with what that looks like for you. There's no laws about that. There's nothing in the Bible that tells you exactly how to do it. You've got to take that before the Lord and ask those questions. And say, God, what would you have me do? 
then how would you have me do it? You know, this week as a bit of a jump starter for our, a new Sabbath routine, we're going to challenge you guys, you know, as a staff and as a, as a team here, what we're going to do is personally, we're going to take a 24-hour break from technology. All right, I just invite you onto this. You, you don't have to do it, but I invite you as a way to just begin to purge the busyness and craziness. Man, my phone is dinging all the time. Yours probably is too. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a, just a 24-hour break, my wife and I, from television, from movies, from social media, all just to begin to get our spirits back to this place of, of God, I want a Sabbath. Because I come to you this morning not as a master of this, but as a journey, as a journeyman with you. Sabbath is something God has been challenging us with as well. So I invite you to do a, a low-tech challenge with us. All right, take a break this weekend, whether it's Friday night into Saturday or all day Saturday. Shut the technology off and just be for a while. Stop and fill and adore him. And watch what happens to your spirit as you do that. Let's stand together. Jesus, right even now, we are asking for a filling of your spirit. We come to you as just weary people who confess, God, we've been looking for these answers in all the wrong places. And so right now, we take our our gaze and we set it squarely on you once more. Say, Jesus, you are all we need. Fill us up and meet with me. More listening. For more information and resources, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.